encourage young people to study nature, talk about passages like Psalm 19, and encourage worshipers to reflect on how God has revealed himself through creation, through the night sky. Here we go! Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Hello, welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. Well, hello, TFN listeners. Normally, we start our podcast off with some banter between Ben and I, but unfortunately, Ben isn't able to be here for a podcast interview we're having today. But uh, we are joined by uh, a really real blessing today. We're going to be having Bob Reedus on. Uh, Bob Reedus Bob Reedus is a, a scientist, actually, for a living. He is a, a Christian man that is very involved and in, in, faithfully serving his tr- even and whether it be in his church or even through his family and uh fortunately for me he's actually my uncle-in-law i think is what you would call it my wife's uncle and uh i've really he's been a great blessing to get to know since i've gotten married and even before then as you know i've truly been blessed by a wonderful christian uh, in-law family and uh we're just re- i'm just really grateful to have you on today bob so Thank you. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to uh, to be here and have a chance to chat with you and and discuss uh, discuss this a little. Amen. Well, listeners, we're going to be talking today about the importance of science in our faith and how we kind of instill that and navigate a world that doesn't kind of see that connection together, particularly with our children. So, so Bob, uh, you know, I know this, uh, but uh, sometimes I don't fully understand it. Uh, you know, you, that your field of study is, is pretty beyond my ability to grasp, grasp science sometimes. So what precisely do you do for a living? Uh, and how does, it Im- how does your faith impact your work? So what I do is called applied physics. I'm the chief scientist of a business that provides sensors for scientific instrumentation, primarily involving radiation. We provide sensors for measuring X-rays, gamma rays, alpha particles, and the like. Our sensors are used in materials analysis, homeland security, medical work, uh, and in research. They're used in industrial settings, um, and they're also used in a number of NASA missions. So they're on the spacecraft, uh, the, the rovers on Mars, they've flown to asteroids and comets, and they're up on the space station. My job is really to develop new sensors, and also I spend a lot of my time working with helping our customers to use the sensors we make. Wonderful. The the impact of my faith in my work is pretty much like that of any other Christian in business. That is, it affects how I treat people, coworkers, or customers, you know, maintaining integrity and honesty and sharing the gospel. It, it really doesn't affect, I would have to say, the science of my daily employment, But outside of daily work, I got into physics because I wanted to understand how the world works. And even now, I want to better understand the magnificent universe that God made. So my faith impacts how I look at and think about nature and also what nature reveals about God. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. So 
Well, uh, I have to say, you know, with your profession, though, uh, according to some popular authors of our day, some popular authors even read by young people, uh, some people might see you as a bit of an anomaly. Uh, so, you know, I have to ask, Bob, isn't science really anti-God? Yeah, not at all. I mean, science is about studying nature. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. They reveal knowledge. Romans 1 tells us that God's invisible qualities are understood from what has been made. From my perspective, the Bible encourages us to study God's creation, to study nature so that we can better know God. This is what motivated Galileo and Kepler and the other early scientists, and it motivates me and many other scientists today. Wonderful. So, you know, there are many people that do believe that science is kind of fundamentally anti-God. Uh, and why do you think this might be? So that I think that's a really important question in our society today um, because of the way science is perceived and because of the way uh, Christianity is perceived. And it's unfortunately true that science is often portrayed as anti-God. That's a common portrayal you'll run across today. And I think there are a few reasons for this. I mean, one reason, the first reason I would say is that some prominent scientists are indeed anti-God and often vocally so. So there are vocal there are scientists vocally anti-God. And, and the problem is that some people believe that science can explain everything. Some people believe that science is the sole path to knowledge. This belief is called scientism, but that's distinct from science. So the, the confusion between scientism and science is, I think, a, a significant problem. Adherents of scientism believe that if the scientific method cannot answer a question, it has no answer. And that implies that questions of value or right and wrong have no absolute answer. Um, those, these very vocal scientists would say that such questions are meaningless since they have no answer based on science. Um, this also implies there's nothing beyond the natural world. This would imply that miracles are impossible, that divine revelation doesn't occur. But all of this grows out of the belief, I would call it the faith, of those who rely on science for everything. It's not intrinsic to science. Most scientists see science as a powerful tool to understanding nature, but would not call it the only approach to knowledge. Even many scientists who are not Christians still understand that science does not explain everything. There are many in our society, both scientists and therefore non-scientists, who confuse science, a tool to learn about nature, with scientism, the faith that only knowledge acquired through science is valid. Scientism is anti-God. Many Christians and non-Christians assume that opposing scientism means opposing science. Um, a second reason, I think, that's that for this confusion today um, and for the belief that, sci that science is anti-God comes from a, a, it's common to portray events as a conflict between science and a religion when the real story is more complex and interesting. You see a lot of things portrayed that way when the stories are actually interesting. The narrative you read in textbooks and, the me and in the media today is often that of inherent conflict, but that's not the real story. There's one great story I like that you'll often hear in textbooks, which is the, the relationship between Galileo and Copernicus. They were the two who proposed that the earth moves around the sun and their relationship with the church at the time. In school, their story is portrayed as an inherent conflict between church and science, but the true story is more interesting. One thing to note is that Copernicus and Galileo both remained Christians. Mm -hmm. They were both in the church. Galileo wrote that he, quote, affirmed that the Holy Bible can never speak untruth whenever its true meaning is understood. 
And also, you got to recognize the church of that era was the main supporter of science. They encouraged the study of nature. The Pope actually encouraged Galileo to study stars as parts of God's creation. Another, another piece of that story, though, is Galileo's idea that the Earth orbits the sun was correct. Frankly, he didn't state very clearly the reasons to support the idea. And some of the reasons he gave that he believed turned out to be wrong. That is, he had data that he thought supported his, his belief, and it turned out to be wrong. The science, frankly, was debatable at the time, and only with decades of hindsight was the truth clear. And frankly, that's true through all of science. Science is really murky when the dis discoveries are happening, right when you're in the thick of discoveries. It's only clear and simple when you write about it later. Um, only in hindsight do you see, and, and that was so Galileo's presentation of what he believed was a bit confusing and not entirely correct. The story of Galileo is not really an inherent conflict. It's a narrow disagreement about interpretations. Psalm 104 says, he set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. And other passages have similar language. The church at the time insisted that this should be understood, interpreted literally, unless there was strong evidence otherwise. Galileo pointed out the rest of Psalm 104 uses symbolic and poetic language, and he proposed that the verse's true meaning was not astronomy, but the greatness of God. The, the point of that passage was God, not nature. It's kind of a dry scholarly debate between scientists and theologians, but it, occur, it was further complicated by forces beyond science and, and church. It occurred at the peak of the Protestant Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church reacted strongly to any challenge to its authority, kind of jumped down the throat of anybody questioning things. And further, when Galileo wrote, he chose to ridicule church leaders to make the debate personal. He had a very sharp pen, knew how to make his the <laughs> Italian satirical, and he aimed it right at the Pope. So church authorities didn't handle it badly, but frankly, eh, so did Galileo. <laughs> it, it, it's not an indication of inevitable conflict between science and religion. It's actually a fascinating story of how discoveries happen, how they become accepted, and of politics and personalities. They're all part of that mix. And so in the media today, things get presented as a conflict. We like to present the conflict that builds up tension when in fact, it's a lot more subtle. All of the discoveries have interesting stories, interesting personalities. Um, there were points of tension, right, between Galileo and the church. There were some points of tension and debate, but it was not really an inherent fundamental conflict between the underlying philosophies. That's interesting you brought the Galileo with that. Uh, I, I think that's exactly key in it. And it's sad how that's often portrayed that. And, and it's funny to me, uh, just off the top of my head, it reminds me of, you know, I remember in textbook uh, that in high school, and I think at a Christian school, even similarly, Jonathan Edwards, you know, different time, but was portrayed as kind of, you know, this kind of Luddite anti-science. Uh, uh, and yet what's fascinating is some of the earliest Christian pastors in our nation, I mean, before nation. I mean, Cotton Mathers and Jonathan Edwards were dedicated to the sciences. I mean, Jonathan Edwards has whole notebooks on studies of spiders. For whatever reason, he was fascinated yeah. with the scientific study of it. So, but, but yet it often gets portrayed in media and textbooks in school as a con. The subtle and complicated thing gets simplified into a conflict, and, and it's easy to hear that and walk away thinking there's a conflict when it's actually a whole lot more interesting um, <laughs> if you get the whole story.
Yeah, absolutely. So, so do you think perhaps part of the problem is kind of a confusion over exactly what science really is? It, it is. Yeah, the, the idea, the word science shows up often today. It's pervasive in our society. You'll hear about the science of baseball and you'll hear about <laughs> science is real. There's a yard sign around here that talks about science is real. And it affects the idea of science affects how we think, yet it's rarely defined. It's one of these kind of undefined ideas that people toss around a lot. And the confusion over the idea of science is part of the problem. I'm going to paraphrase the physicist Richard Feynman. He was one of the great theoretical physicists of the 20th century. And what he said is that scientists, what scientists do is to look at nature, and they think about nature, and then they make a guess about how nature works. But then we work out the consequences of the guess, and most importantly, we compare those consequences to what we actually observe in nature. If our guess disagrees with even a single experiment or observation, the guess is wrong. We call it false. We discard it, we move on. That simple statement, abandoning your guess based on observation, is the key to science. It doesn't make any difference how beautiful your guess is, how obvious your guess seemed to you, how smart you are, or who made the guess. If it disagrees with what we observe in nature, it's wrong. Science is really a process for separating bad guesses about nature from better guesses by observing what actually happens. And there are a few important implications of this definition. First, note that it only takes a single observation to disprove a scientific statement. If one experiment contradicts your theory, your theory is wrong. And so science, this process for testing our guesses, has given us tremendous insight into how nature works. We know an incredible amount, and we've tested that through observation after observation. We understand much more about the natural world than people a century or two ago, because so many ideas have been called out by careful observations. We called out the bad guesses. And we have great confidence in our current understanding, but everything known through science is really only an approximation because we know that we do not yet know all the answers. As scientists, you have to hold loosely to what you've learned because an observation tomorrow might disagree with what we know. You can't prove that some different observation isn't gonna to happen tomorrow. So what makes science exciting is that it's not yet finished, that there's more to learn, and that there's more to unlearn as we let the observation of nature correct our, our guesses. But second, and this is really important and I think, I think often missed, note that the method of science only applies to questions that can be settled or, or more strictly disproved through observing nature. If you can't disprove it by an observation, it's not science. And many questions cannot be settled through an experiment. Think about this. How would it work if your wife or your kids did an experiment to look for evidence that you don't love your wife? Do you think, <laughs> how long would your wife have to, have to look before she found some evidence of a lack of love, right? Most of us are uh, chuckling immediately. Uh, both the husbands and the wives listening to this are, are chuckling um, because it's a, such a silly way to know about love. Scientific experiments are not the way to know about love. They're not the way to know about beauty. They're not the way to know about meaning or right and wrong. But scientism is the faith that science is the only path to true knowledge, and it's very different from science, yet commonly confused. Which scientism, yeah, like you said, isn't even really science. I mean, you can't do a test. Uh, I've right. never seen a it, chemical test. On that. You, you cannot. Scientism is, is indeed not scientific. It's funny because scientism says you're only going to believe things proved by science, and yet you cannot prove science. So the faith in scientism 
is fundamentally not scientifically provable. But now uh, that this has been really helpful, uh, but you know we do we are the Theological Family Ministry podcast, and I know uh, some of our uh, guests we've had have many theology degrees, but you know you have the theology experience of the fact that you're a thinking man and a Christian, uh, and as such are are a theologian as we all are. So, so how might valuing science be a theological concern? Well, I go back to Psalm 19, and and there's similar passages. God has chosen to reveal some aspects of who he is through creation. The theologians you mentioned call this general revelation. And I would argue that science, the systematic study of the natural world, helps us understand God as he has shown himself to us through creation. Again, Romans 1, Psalm 19 say that. For me, knowing the vastness of the universe, seeing galaxy upon galaxy in the Hubble telescope or the the latest pictures from James Webb, Understanding the complexity of of photosynthesis, just looking out at the complexity of life that's around me, um, all of that should lead us to marvel at what God has done and to praise God. It should motivate us to praise and worship God. And as Christians, a second piece of what comes out of science and nature, um, studying science, as Christians, we're called to love God and to love and serve other people. And through science, and it's, it's cousin engineering, we are now able to meet the physical needs of many people. Mm-hmm. Look at the benefits of biology, of medicine, of, of what we've learned about electro, electronics and materials. You know, they really are allowing us to feed people and help people. And that is a theological concern as well that can be addressed through science and engineering, using the tools that God gave us to help those in need. Amen. That's really helpful. Now, should, do you think Christians should value science more or less than the secular world? Well, you know, I don't know if Christians should value it more or less, but we ought to approach it with a different mindset, right? If we know that it's there to help us know God better, we will think about it differently um, than those in the secular world. If God's chosen to reveal aspects of his character through his act of creation, we should be excited about the chance to know him better. We should respond to the discoveries of science with awe and worship, right? When, when we read science, when you see those pictures from James Webb Telescope, worship should be what comes to your mind. And the secular approach is going to be empty of that response. That's great. Yeah, that's helpful response. So. Yeah, and I, I do want to kind of add, you know, even connecting this and the previous question, uh, oftentimes almost we see such a, a strong separation between our faith and the pursuit of knowledge, but Scripture has no mentality in that. And, uh, you know, I know some theologians have taught that the science is actually part of the Imago Dei, part of the image of God, and thus, you know, science will continue in the new heavens and new earth, and perhaps, perhaps you'll be uh, studying something incredible on Venus one day in the new heavens new earth i don't know (laughs) it'll be interesting to find out so amen now are evangelicals perceived as being people of science well no i mean i think the general perception of our culture is that evangelical christians are opposed to science Mm -hmm. um some evangelicals are scientists some evangelical christians appreciate science there are some who would argue oppose it for various reasons the general perception and the common depiction of the media is that evangelicals are not people of science. Again, I, th- I think the root cause is the confusion between science and scientism. They hear evangelicals opposing scientism and, and therefore assume they're opposing science. 
There's another thing to be mentioned. There's a really important point of tension, I would say, today. Um, that tension was really, back in the Galileo's day, there was a tension about whether or not the Earth moved. That was an tension between interpretations of what had been observed in nature and the interpretation of certain passages in the Bible. And today's tension revolves around when and how the universe came into existence and how life began. Questions of creation, the Big Bang, and evolution. So on this podcast, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of those issues. Okay, we could get derailed on that. But I do want to acknowledge that many evangelicals hold to biblical interpretations, which degree disagree with the interpretations of many scientists. Okay, so there's a there's a tension between these interpretations. This is portrayed in the media as evangelicals being inherently anti-science and science being inherently anti-God or anti-Bible. From my perspective, the truth is a lot more subtle, a lot more complicated, and pretty interesting. It's really fascinating when you actually get into what's behind all of those apparent points of tension. That's as far as I want to go down that rabbit hole tonight, though. Yeah, I absolutely understand. So so why do you think many Christian families, though, can kind of extend that same kind of skepticism? I, I perceive many Christian families can be hesitant to listen to the scientific community themselves. Why do you think that might be? Well, one reason I think is that there are these vocal scientists who oppose Christianity and oppose, oppose religion in general. Um, there are a number of people, you don't have to look on the internet very far before you're going to run across some of these names. They believe there's nothing beyond the physical universe, that science is the only valid way to approach knowledge, and that faith leads them to vocally oppose any who disagree. They often ridicule anybody who, who disagrees with them. Um, and again, from my perspective, this arises because of the confusion between science and scientism. And it, it arose, arises because there are people who vocally oppose Christianity, which honestly shouldn't shock us that there are people who vocally oppose, oppose Christianity. Always have been, always will be, but a number of the most vocal today are coming, are scientists. Um, and a second reason is that far too many textbooks, far too much in the media, tend to portray science as fundamentally opposed to religion. Conflict makes for a more interesting story, mm -hmm. but the conflict's not really there. But yet it's easy for Christian families to read the stories and, and believe it is. So I, I think that's part of why there's that perception. Wonderful. So thank you. Yeah. Now, I, I really, I've seen even firsthand how you have made an impact on young people uh, and bringing them to love scientific study. Even, you know, it's, uh, I'm recording it on my oldest daughter's birthday today, and uh, and she loves science a great deal, and, I, you know, and she's mentioned excitement over some of the scientific pursuits that, that you go after. And so I want to ask, who most impacts whether a young person loves scientific study of God's creation? Well, First and foremost are parents, okay? That won't be a big shock. But parents have the biggest impact in their kids' lives. What they encourage is key. If you encourage your children to study nature, if you encourage your children to learn about science, uh, that's going to have a huge impact. Your attitude about science and nature and God will be key to it's not the only thing, but it is a key in how your kids develop. Second are the other adults important in their lives, right? The teachers, the youth leaders, mentors in their lives, even pastors. Um, if they model an inherent an interest in science, young people are encouraged in it. I mean, this is the same for other factors, right? If you have a love for music, if you encourage football, hockey, you know, it, it is what do the parents and the adults 
um, model is going to have the biggest impact. Yeah, that's neat. Praise the Lord for that. Now, how can parents foster a godly passion for the sciences in their home? Well, first, encourage the children in their natural curiosity about the world. Kids are Mm. naturally curious and encourage that. You know, go out and look at the flowers, look at the trees, flip over rocks looking for salamanders and bugs. Go out at <laughs> night and look up at the stars, look up, at, look at the Milky Way. Go find out where the, you know, look on the five minutes on the Internet, you'll figure out what planets are where up in the night sky and go out and point them out and, and connect the kids to this. Science arises from a curiosity about the world. So encourage that curiosity. And second, kids are going to ask questions, help them find the answers. They'll ask questions when they're preschoolers, right? You're going to hear why every every 10 seconds. Um, and they're going to ask different questions when they're in high school. They're going to be in high school. They're here in science. They're learning biology. They're going to keep having questions, generate an atmosphere where they can ask the questions and then do an, your honest best to figure out how to answer them. In both cases, encourage them to learn, encourage the questions, and work with them to find answers in in with today's internet at our fingertips, you know, there are so many ways to find answers. And third, though, encourage them to recognize and acknowledge God's role in it all. When you look up at the Milky Way with them at night, don't just say, oh, there's cool the Milky Way, but talk about what God did and what it's telling us about God. When you see the seeds sprouting in the spring, you know, praise God uh, for what it's doing. Uh, another thing you can do is learn more. Right. Learn more about some of these issues, issues I've mentioned. In fact, there's an excellent book I recommend. It's entitled, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? It's available from Ivy Press. It's written by Ian Hutchinson. He's a physicist from MIT, and he's a committed Christian. And he articulates quite thoughtfully many of the questions and issues related to Christianity and science. He's had debates with some of these vocal anti-Christian scientists. And, and so that's a very interesting book for for those of you who want to spend a little more time pursuing it, again, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles uh, by Ian Hutchinson, I highly recommend. That's great. Thank you so much. So, And how might churches as well show young people the pursuit of science can actually be godly, can be a way to pursue the Lord? Well, again, encourage young people to study nature, talk about passages like Psalm 19, um, and encourage worshipers to reflect on how God has revealed himself through creation, through the night sky, through flowers, through pictures from the James Webb telescope. I mean, that that, that should be a piece of what the, the churches discuss. That's good. Thank you. Now, what spiritual dangers, though, might kids who love science have in these kind of more naturalistic fields? I think the biggest dangers are the narrative that science and religion are intrinsically opposed. That narrative is out there and it's easy for them to weigh into it. And it's those scientists who are vocally opposed to God and to religion. That narrative is commonly held and taught in our society today. Frankly, the scientists opposed to God get a lot of attention. Um, And that's, there's a danger that they will listen to that. For a final question, how does a young person study this universe without forgetting the God of the universe? I I think this is, in a lot of ways, the most important question to navigate. Well, you know, how how does this young person uh, learn to study people and study jobs or learn anything without forgetting God, right? Stay rooted in the Bible. Stay rooted in a fellowship of believers. It's the same way we do the rest of daily life without forgetting about God. It's the same way we as grownups also stay 
rooted in daily life without forgetting about God. So stay rooted in the Bible, stay in a fellowship of believers, but also keep that sense of wonder and of curiosity. Don't just mm. learn about the scientific theories to, you know, to, to take a test. You know, go for a walk in the woods, look at the night sky, meditate on the world God has made. And then finally, really importantly in all of this, maintain an attitude of humility. Science is not a complete and finished body of knowledge. What makes science fun is that it's not finished. There's more to do, there's things to learn. It doesn't have the answers, all the answers. It doesn't claim to. Look critically and honestly about what it's known, about the open questions. Maintain an attitude of humility about what we have learned in the Bible, because each of us has got room to grow in what we know about God as well. Um, keep that attitude of humility in the Bible and in science. What science hasn't finished is what makes science exciting. That's good. So, Yeah, I, a lot of ways I'm reminded, I do want to add on this, I'm reminded of uh, the that one of the, on Apollo 8 mission, I think it was, uh, one of the scientists actually read from, speaking of being rooted in the Bible, read from the Genesis narrative when you know when he uh, viewed Earth from space, and and I think that to me is such a demonstration of getting it right. Apollo eight read from Genesis, and Buzz Aldrin on his way back from uh, the moon on Apollo eleven uh, read from Psalm eight. Um, the heavens, to, you know, he he was talking about what is man. That's fascinating, actually. Look, that look is, that up. Buzz Aldrin was was reading uh, from Psalm eight on the way back. So that that was standing on the surface of the moon led him to have that perspective on on Earth and on God. Man, it is wonderful hearing examples of Christians that are faithful and all kinds of you know, pursuits like that. So praise the Lord for that. So. Well, thank you, Bob, for discussing this all with us, uh, that I know uh, you're a busy guy and your time is valuable on top of your work. I know uh, spending time with even a grandchild has mm -hmm. kept you busy. So, But thank you so much today. My, my pleasure. Fun to, uh, fun to think through these things and to discuss them with you and, and with your audience as well. Wonderful. So, well, listeners, we hope that you're blessed by this and we hope that you continue to study this planet that God created. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.